Hello and welcome to another episode of Tales in Our Times. My name is George. And my name is Janet. Or Mum. And welcome back to the show. Oh, well, were you going to... Did I step on your toes a bit there? No, you didn't step on my toes. I would have shouted if you stepped on my toes. Well, I mean, this is all metaphorical, metaphysical anyway, because we're on a video call. So if I stepped on your toes, I would think you should call a priest, yeah. A priest? Okay. Well, I was thinking like, you know. Or a police. Exorcism. No, we don't call (laughs) the cops. Uh, Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Lovely to hear from you. Sorry we took a week off there. I was feeling a bit poorly ick, but we are back now and so excited. I am really over the moon about this episode in particular. Um, But before we do that, why don't we do a little reading check-in? Mum, what are you reading? Um, I'm still reading White's Blood by Flannery O'Connor. Going fine. Uh, You know, it's... Well... You know, it it has fallen under the umbrella of uh, Southern Noir or Southern Gothic, or even I read somewhere it said uh, Redneck Noir. I don't know if that's... Uh, hmm. Yeah, there was a reference to that. But, um, but yeah. Some I, research I'm, to be done. Yeah, and I think that will be forthcoming in the fourth, <laughs> fourth times. What? In the yeah. forward times. In forward times, we will be... <laughs> Researching. What are you great. reading? George, what are you reading right now? <laughs> that was Flannery O'Connor. Goodbye. Uh, I'm still reading Medusa's Doors. That's that collection of gothic tales edited by Theodora Goss. Very much enjoying it. Um, it is a little more variable in the lengths of the pieces, which I was not expecting, but I like that. You know, some of them are very short poems. Some of them are, are short stories or, you know medium-length uh, novellas. Uh, I do want to apologize. I, I did pronounce um, Nim incorrectly last episode. I was talking about uh, one of the stories um, and mispronounced the Gaelic, which... It is Nim. Yeah, right? yeah. It's... it's No, it's it's uh, Neve. Oh. Well, how was it yeah, spelled yeah, yeah. then? N-I-E-V... N-I-A-M-H... N-I-A-M-H is pronounced Neve. Yeah. Irish is really hard. I, I did try and it learn is, isn't it? A very short time I tried to learn some um Irish Gaelic and the words don't make any connection to anything you wear. Unless you're a native Gaelic speaker, <laughs> then all power to you. I'm so impressed. But um if you just look at it as a new language to learn, it is mental. Sorry. I might try and pick it up. I think it's you know. hard. It's it's hard, but it's also cool to have you know like we've have had back phrases. Pocket. Yeah, well, just I don't know. It's I it's do. it's an erased language, you know. Anyway, anyway, but I wanted to bring that up. Uh, but one of the stories out of Medusa's doors is Neve, and I, last time I called it Nim, so that was hilarious. And oh. then also I called him Albert Camus, uh, not realizing, of course, he's French. It's Albert Camus. Oh, silent S. You know, if you were still listening to the show or thought maybe we knew what we were talking about, <laughs> Whoa, just wanted to no. knock that on the head right away. They just, like, <laughs> you know, clicked off of this podcast because of all the mispronunciations. <laughs> of course, you know, silent letters are a bit of a bastard, especially if it's not your native language. It's true. I am also a reader, not so much a speaker. So, oh, well, um, you speak quite a bit. 
Wow. Okay. Rude. <laughs> Who do I get Don't that from? I wonder. Um, <laughs> so that's our reading check-in. Let's do a little bit of news before we get into the meat of this episode. Kind of a lot going on, isn't it? Yes, there is a lot going on. Book bans are plenty. Yeah, I I don't know what prompted this either. Um, I think this was from I mean, la homophobia. Well, yeah, maybe so, but it's from last week, right? This was dated last week. This news item. Yeah, this is yeah, yeah. Do you, do you, I, do you want to share it? Or want me to go ahead? Oh sure. It's just about the um talking about the Texas book ban. Um, it's been reported uh an estimated seventy five thousand students, um. By Fort are impacted by the Fort Worth ISD shutting down all libraries ahead of inventory sweeps uh, instituted by the Texas book ban. The ban requires libraries to use a rating system in order to filter out and ban books deemed sexually inappropriate, which we, you know, all know kind of what that's code for. Um, anything, anything that isn't. Sexually inappropriate. Are those books that have got penises on the cover? Well, that I I think that would probably be deemed sexually inappropriate in this setting, but that's not what they're talking about, is it? Really? No, no. Although I'm sure it would send them squealing. Oh or, yeah. You know, barfing. Maybe. But the yeah, it's just you know, it's 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 a lot of. Nonsense. Fear-mongering nonsense. Yeah, it is. It's just, it's the same sort of thing you see fascists do all the time. It's like, oh, you can't read these books because it'll turn you into a pervert. And it's like, look, no librarian worth their salt keeps pervert books in the library. The thing is, those don't really exist. I mean... Because the more, well... You could find pervy books. Yeah, but maybe. no, I've never, I've never read a book that became my whole personality so much no. so that I was like doing sex crimes or doing crimes. Doing sex crimes. I'm gonna do it's doing some. Sex it's not cool. Crimes. No, it's not. I it's mean, bad. no, it's really bad. And I mean, you know, it's like, oh, you're gonna become a sexual deviant or. You know, in the same way that in the past, it's like, oh, you're going to be a communist, you're going to be a socialist, mm-hmm, if you read that. Mm-hmm. Or if you're caught reading anything that doesn't fit with what we agree with right now, then obviously you're going to change. You know, books are powerful. We've talked about how powerful books can be in a positive way. And I'm sure that there are people who can be affected in a negative way by books. However, do we really have the right to take away people's choice of what they read. Do you know what I mean? What's that? Um, doesn't that fall under, I don't know, freedom of speech or something? Something like that, yeah. Amendment. Freedom of library cards. Yeah, yeah, library cards. You should definitely be allowed a library card. Love my library Freedom cards. of catalog. <laughs> yeah, it's, so that's, that's a bit depressing coming out of Texas, and you're seeing similar stuff kind of all over the states right now. Uh, Kentucky legislatures proposed a bill to let library boards be uh, be appointed by county officials. Obviously, really undermines the independence of local librarians. They're pretty self-sufficient otherwise. Uh, Oklahoma, there was a bill signed requiring libraries to install filters on their digital databases to prevent children from seeing obscene material. Again, 
that exists. Like there are obvious filters for like children's yeah. books, yeah. you know. And then uh, Iowa and Idaho have also proposed similar bills to strip away some of the immunity for librarians in determining their own space, which, you know, just chill out, guys. Yeah, I do want to say, you know, we know some librarians. We know quite a few librarians between us, and um, they're pretty, you know, cool, well-educated in... What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I want to say intelligent, but that I wanted something better than that, but never mind. But they are smart people, and they they have the ability Get the, gets the point across doesn't it they have the ability to rationalize what is um worthy of being in a public library yeah and yeah. what does not necessarily and also you know that they, they work in in public spaces so they are there looking if kids are looking at stuff that really isn't appropriate in that environment then they are going to supervise you just you know it's like when they said they wanted to put cameras in, in grade school classrooms or, you know. What the just, hell, yeah. We don't trust you. We're just saying we don't trust anybody in the world, really, from what I can gather. Yeah. And really, like, the ultimate answer to it all is, look, if you don't, if you think that librarians are poisoning your children's minds, then fucking nut up and get a master's degree and you go do it, you well, fucker. You don't get to stand outside the library telling them you're not allowed to show that book here yeah like you don't fucking work here dog so how about you get a job with your bum ass anyway so that's 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 our big news (laughs) yeah Uh, okay big shouts to the to the wags as well oh yeah of course the wags big shouts oh yeah sorry wga still striking (laughs) It's just, we we always call them that, so in all of our notes, it just still says the wags. Yeah. Uh, big shouts to the J- WGA and SAG-AFTRA. Um, solidarity forever. Um, fuck the producers until they give us a deal, after which point, thank you for your cooperation. But until yes. then, fuck them. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I don't, didn't, I don't think I have any... Oh, answers. I thought you were going to say something else before that. I didn't mean to... No. Um, do you want a, uh, I didn't know when you wanted to slip in the, those books that we had mentioned from somebody who contacted us. Oh, yeah. Do you want Just, to do that in the yeah. news? So excited. Um, yeah, I might as well. Before we were doing shout outs in, at the end of the episode, and we'll probably go back to doing that after this one, but this is pretty awesome and special. Um, we have started getting replies in the Spotify, uh, com- the Q&A, which, I'll be honest, I didn't even really understand how that worked. No, I, th- I don't know I if it's still a, new, don't. a new function because somebody said that Spotify couldn't do that with podcasts. Yeah. So, well, hey, go Spotify. So if you want to do that, please go via the Spotify app and give us a little response. It's just like a default question about how did you feel about this episode? Um, thank you so much to the people who've been putting their answers in there. It is so so heartwarming like seriously almost cried about it and uh the one thing we're gonna say is if you want if you are gonna do that just let us know in your reply whether you're okay with us replying to you because as i understand it that'll sort of post it to our spotify page 
which seems harmless enough, but I, I'm a bit of a nut about my own privacy. So just wanted to give, we just want to give everyone that, like, uh, that checkbox to make sure we don't put anyone out there who doesn't want to be. Yeah, because if we respond, then that makes their information public, right? So anybody else who was looking would be able to see it or Yeah, no? just like their Spotify name, you okay. know, and their profile. You know, it's, it's, it's a minor thing, but it's just worth calling out. Yep. And um, bearing that in mind, um, do can I mention the person? Who, so um, yeah. <laughs> I'm also very excited. I'm just not talking right now. Uh, so somebody we met at the Reading Festival down in D.C. a couple of weeks ago. Um, we mentioned them, I think, in our post-Reading Festival episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monique um, responded to us. She said she really enjoyed the um, mythology episode, was it, George, mm-hmm. that she mm-hmm. mentioned? Um, and... There was one other one that I can't remember what it was. Was it the Hero's Quest? Um, the murder mystery. The murder mystery. Ah, yes. And so one, and um, she said she'd also uh, got into the Thursday Murder Club series, which was one that I really like. It's also on audiobooks. If you're interested in audiobooks, Um, she also recommended some books. So I'm definitely going to share those. Between two kingdoms, yeah, by Salika. Jawad, I'm not sure that's pronunciation. We can take, we can look that up. Okay. I just dropped and these in the notes before, so apologies, I didn't give you time to. Yeah. Research. Uh, and crying in Kmart. H Mart. H Mart by Michelle Zana. Um, mm-hmm. again, if the pronunciation is wrong. Becky has read. All right. She really liked that one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we got some recommendations, which is also cool because it means we're interacting with people who are actually. Uh, listening and um, you know, without wanting to sound sappy because I'm not sappy at all. I'm hard as nails. No, um, yeah, the two of us, not once. Not never sappy. Um, so thank you, and also you're welcome. Bring it on. We'd love to hear from anybody, really. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. But yeah, we just wanted to do a special shout out to Monique because she what was so lovely when we met her, and has continued to be lovely even uh, just across a digital space so yeah is isn't life lovely mum? <laughs> lovely george and thank you monique hi big shout out to you yeah friend new online friend podcast friend okay stop george what are we talking about today before we run out of bloody time we're really getting close to it and it, uh, we've got a lot to go through uh today we are talking about a fantastic subject. I'm so excited about this one. We're talking about picture books. I love it when you're so excited. Thanks. Me too. I, I had a lot of fun researching this one, um, primarily because you kind of start to piece together how many picture books you know about. But anyway, just a bit of clarification before we get started with the background on this one. Um, picture books is quite broad. As a subject, and while we're definitely going to be talking about children's books for uh, a fair chunk of this, I don't want to pretend like, you know, we've tried to diversify it a little more than just uh, children's um, literature. Uh, As well as that, though, we're we're cutting it short of things like graphic novels or manga or comics. Yeah, those all all belong to their own episodes. 
but picture books mum came up with this idea and i was just overjoyed to run with it so um well yeah <laughs> good I, yeah i was I, yeah nice. I, I really i had a great time um had a bit of a hard past couple of weeks but this was sort of i really I, I love doing the research for this show just because it's always it just feels so enlightening anyway now i'm waffling i love you doing the research for this show <laughs> wow i i can't imagine why Okay, so go. let's go back. You know what? Not to our favorite friends, the ancient Greeks. We're not Although, going back to the ancient Greeks. That's awesome. No, weird. <laughs> it's crazy because we really so often is the place to go. Um, but this time we are looking at Europe. Um, as always, we've tried to zhuzh up the western centric uh lens that we take on these things um but looking into the beginning of children's books uh does take us to europe specifically in nuremberg the first ever children's picture book produced in 1658 orbis sensualium pictus or oh. The Visible World. Oh, I love it already, and I've never seen that book, I'll be honest. <laughs> it sounds like a Kate yeah. Bush song. It was. <laughs> sensualium pictus. We live in the visible world. Yeah, I think she did anyway. actually do that one, but you will. So that was a quick little, yeah, we just... If you want anyone to do, like, custom songs for birthdays or whatever, <laughs> Mum and I are horrible. Um, <laughs> a terrible. Anyway. We're <laughs> a horrible. Sorry, go on. So this is an important time period, right? Uh, the 17th century is sort of widely regarded as the beginning of the concept of childhood. There's there's the the first time that children become seen as separate beings in need of kind of protection and training by the adults around them. Um, a lot of this kind of is largely influenced by um, John Locke. Uh, this is he'll come up later, though. I'll, I'll get back to that later. Let's get to this Kate Bush book, um, <laughs> The Visible World. <laughs> Written by Jan Kamensky, also known as Comenius, which, first of all, girl, what? Can I get an also known as as cool as just Kame You just make up a wizard name for yourself? Oh, George, you should put that in a D&D campaign somewhere. Comenius. Oh, Comenius. Yeah. So Comenius was a teacher. Um, he wanted really badly to create a textbook that is sort of broadly accessible to any level of ability. Um, <laughs> that's the kind of book I want to read, for that's, sure. Me too. <laughs> uh, so one of the main ways that he engages in this is implementing uh, the senses, right? Like how sense helps people learn um, by filling it with 150 pictures, uh, subjects... <laughs> I wish everyone could see the dance mums did. Um, so like many subjects, right? Nature, the elements, religion, uh, animals. And each picture has two captions, the Latin caption and the language of the area it was published in. Originally, that was German. So it is, it is sort of uh, 
wide application textbook, like like activity workbook, picture book. It's the it's one of the first books ever aimed at education and aimed specifically at children. Um, so like they would be pages that show the sounds that an animal makes in order to help children learn their letters by reading the text. Some of the images for that are really cool. I would highly recommend looking up uh, the visible world. It's also abbreviated sometimes to just Orbis Pictus. Orbis Pictus. I mean, it just sounds cool. Yeah, it is. It's awesome. Um, and it's cool to have something like that written as a, like, with the specific intention saying, I'm, I'm making this to improve the chances of learning, not just to, like, improve the minds of people around me, but, like, to make it accessible and to use the senses, which in a way, when you think about the sounds mimicking an animal, that's like sound, sight, your your reading, so your imagination is getting going. So Orbis Pictus is kind of the beginning of it all. Uh, we have another early picture book published in Russia, the Illustrated Primer by Karyon Istomin um, in 1694. Similar, Illustrated Primer, right? There's this like idea of like a welcome to the world. Here's the knowledge that you need. You know, yeah. really going along with that idea of children needing training. So those are cool. Those are in the 1600s. Um, in the 1700s, one of the biggest things to note, and this is where we're going to dip pretty strongly into children's literature, not all the way, not as specifically picture books, uh, but we have to talk about John Newbery considered the father of children's literature. Uh, he he was the one who really brought children's literature into the market as like a, a as sustainable... A yeah. yeah. Um, you may know him from metal fame. Newbury um, Metal, yeah. Newbury Metal, named after him in 1922. His A Little Pretty Pocket Book from 1744 was the earliest illustrated storybook marketed as pleasure reading in English, which is pretty cool. Pleasure reading? We're all about that. Yeah. Just like, well, think about the illustrated primer and Orbis Pictus. You know, both of them are enjoyable, but like certainly have a, a pretense of learning. Yeah. They're like how-tos. Yeah, it is a little bit of like an instruction manual for your baby. Well, not like for the parents, literally for the baby. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But a little pretty pocketbook was a little more just like, ooh, whimsy. Whimsy. We love a bit of whimsy. We love a bit of whimsy. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> going back a little bit into the 18th century, Kibyoshi, uh, picture books in Japan uh, are seen as a precursor to manga, which, like we said, we're not going to get into because it's a whole other thing. But uh, some examples include uh, Santo Kyoden's uh, Shiji no Yukikai from 1798. Another notable one is uh, the German children's books, uh, children's books, uh, Struel Peter from 1845 by Heinrich Hoffmann and Max and Moritz from 1865 by Wilhelm Busch. Uh, some of the two 
precursors of modern picture book design. Yeah. So it actually became like a, a realm of artistic creation, mm-hmm. aside from the actual writing. Yeah, which is all, I mean, all of that alone, we could spend hours, if not days on. I really badly want to talk about the my obsession for this research session, okay. which is a man by the name of Edmund Evans in the mid, what, 19th century? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, that's how math works. So early in the century, children's books often get... Um, hand colored right or often like hand painted and stuff like with watercolors and that yeah yeah and the create the like one of the big change there was uh the popularization in the 1830s of chromoxylography which i can't wtf say, is that george i can't say one time slow so don't ask me to do it 10 times quick Chromoxylography. Um, Chromoxylography. Chromoxylography. But what is it? Chromoxylography. That's yeah. fun. That's that's a funnier way of saying. Chromo. Um, okay, sorry. Shut up. I'm playing with the words now. We're gonna spend a whole hour doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, don't. It's a woodblock printing technique. Ah, nice. So. This was originally popularized by George Baxter, an English artist and printer. Typically, this was used for smaller projects, and it was sort of like a cheap way to go, sort of like a, a, a mass production option. Um, but it also allowed for a, way wi- a, a much wider variety of hues and tones because of the way you could color mix, mm. um, which I love as, as like a, someone who's worked in lighting. Color mixing is like one of the theories to wrap your head around you know you can have red green blue color mixing you can have uh cyan magenta yellow color mixing a lot of people who use uh digital art or code will know what i'm talking about but so this was like the earliest version of that not nope that's not you it's not me either um but so the way that Baxter described the process was you'd use a background detail p- plate printed in aquatint intaglio, which I have no idea what that is. Oh, I love the words, though. I want to <laughs> just write by a colors, that in. Printed in oil inks from relief, usually with wood blocks. And when your man Edmund Evans came along and adapted this process, he only used the wooden relief blocks. Why, why wouldn't you? And the, yeah, I know that's what I'm saying, because I also understand this process and can comment on it as such. Um, but what I do understand is about Evans, right? Evans really took this, the process of chromoxylography and made it his own. Um, in 1865, he, oh, what's up? I see well, I just want, in the back of the class. Well, I just wanted to ask about this um, thing. So is it like a... Is it like a, a printing process or is it like, yeah, it's, so it's like wooden printing. Okay. Just want to Yeah, like screen printing. Yeah, yeah. So in 1865, Evans came into an agreement with the publishing house Rutledge and Warren to provide toy books, which are the next major piece of like picture book history. Okay. Um, they're just 
paper-bound books, six pages each, to be sold for sixpence. Sort of credited with revolutionizing the field of children's books at the time. Yeah. But we're, we're getting away from the children part of it and going back to the illustration part of it. What really, the most important thing that came out of this was Evan's association with illustrators and painters. He moved on to self-publish and began commissioning other artists to work with him, some of whom include Walter Crane, very well-known children's author, Kate Greenaway. Very famous, and she was a, you know, her art is just incredible as well. Um, Yeah. As well as the storybooks. Of course, Randolph Caldecott, also of metal fame. So that, I was just, I was just like, blown away by all this by the ways in which he sort of helped springboard these other artists careers by like developing his process don't want to cut in just you know seeing as we have got a reference point but um kate greenaway she did um the illustrations for a copy of the language of flowers just yeah anybody's interested that is Um, that was one that i'm aware of i know i'm not aware of everything obviously could have fooled me yeah. Uh, also in the early 1850s, Evans uh, designed covers for what were known as yellowbacks, basically just like a book bound in yellow glazed paper over board, also called mustard plaster books. Okay. Did that did that ring a bell? You? Uh... No, I don't remember mustard plaster, but I do wonder whether or not they weren't the precursor to the um, ladybird books because they've got those mm-hmm. hearts. That's exactly what I was thinking. Go on. Anyway, continue with your history. I, so I didn't find anything about that, but I bet that's a that's a viable conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. And then eventually Evans also converted to a different printing technique, um, converted to the three-color printing technique uh, at the request of one particular writer, Beatrix Potter. Yeah. For her first book's watercolor painting, uh, the story, The Tale of Peter Rabbit. Peter Rabbit. Rabbit. Peter Rabbit. Um, yeah, pretty well known. Um, and then he, and I wanted this, but this like really goes in with my love for gentlemen such as uh, Edgar Allan Poe and uh, he who shall come up later, Mr. Edward Gorey. Um, <laughs> Evans had a little, <laughs> just like uh, in the end of his life, moved to Ventnor on the Isle of Wight, wrote a book there alone the reminiscences of edmund evans and then described it as the rambling joyings of an old man himself so i like that because i could imagine jotting in a rambling manner as an old man exactly right but um also just point of reference in case you don't know the isle of wight is a small island about mm, 30 miles off the south coast of england just you know throwing that in there Geography. Geography. The things you learn never cease. Will wonders never cease in the house of materials. There's also a beach there that's got different coloured sand. It's amazing. You can collect it in little glass (laughs) vials in layers. Sorry, go ahead. Continue. (laughs) It's all right. Uh, Edmund Evans passed in 1905. um, But he definitely left his mark. The printing process he perfected uh really like the brightness of the illustrations 
makes the books jump out at you from even on the shelf. And I think that's such an awesome thing. Just as we pass into the 20th century, uh, also Swedish author Elsa Beskow is known for writing 40 children's stories and picture books between 1897 and 1952. Okay. The next one, which is very special, Babar, came out in 1931. Thank you, Jean de Brunhoff. Thank you, France, for one of the most adorable elephants of all time. Absolutely. King Baba, such a weird like um, oh, yeah. design aspect he'd like wear a three-piece suit it's like green jacket and green pants his little crown and you know the whole family and like um what was his can't remember his daughter's name she used to wear a little pink dress um but great the the um just sort of bringing us back to what george is actually talking about is the picture books i think one of the great things about it is that it gives artists such a wide scope just to let their yeah. imagination and also the way that that can um, inspire and and get kids sort of involved in, in all sorts of books is, is just incredible. Yeah, you cannot deny the potency of a visually rendered image. Mm-mm. This is where we just drop in a real quick, don't use AI, pay <laughs> artists, pay real sure. human artists yeah. to do what they have trained for. Anyway, going on with the history of which we've got only a billion million more years to go. Um, in 1937, we see the arrival of Dr. Seuss. Um, we're going to skip over that a bit because he's, he's very good. He's very talented. I'm sure people who grew up on his books feel his influence in their life. Um, but he was also quite problematic. Uh, he, he did a, he did do a lot of really cool, uh, like anti-war propaganda, but then he also did like a lot of kind of racist and anti-Semitic stuff. Um, so moving forward into the 60s, we have the production of Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sendak in 1963. Uh. Just one of the most iconic books I ever read, like really stuck with me for a long, long time. And also between 1963 and 1990, we've got American illustrator Gyo Fujikawa creating more than 50 books. That's the thing that makes me angry the most doing this research. I read about a time period and I'm like, oh yeah, what's that, like 27 years? Yeah, that makes sense. How many books did you write? 50? Fuck off. (laughs) You bastard. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've been alive for that many years and I haven't even done a quarter of one. It's all right. I'm not actually upset with Miss Fujikawa. I'm not going to look into that. Anyway, uh, Fujikawa is uh, credited for two of her most popular books, Babies and Baby Animals. animals. I actually, I really love Babies. (laughs) That's such a cute book. Uh, She's one of the earliest mainstream illustrators to include, like, very diverse racial representation in the babies in her work. Um, So shouts. Uh, Also, read Babies. It's so cute. I'm going to read Baby Animals next. Okay, just jumping in, I want to jump back to Maurice Sendak because uh, I did oh, yeah. love um, pretty much all his books. And uh, about 10 years ago, there was a um, an exhibition in Tampa at the uh, Fine Arts Museum. I'm not sure what it's called. Anyway, gallery, art gallery, downtown Tampa. And it was a lot of Maurice Sendak's uh, original uh, works from his books. 
really cool, but also a lot of reference to his experience uh, growing up in Nazi time during World War Two. I think he came to the United States either during or after World War Two. So um, it was really interesting as far as that goes. And, and one of the books I bought as a result of going to see that exhibition was called Outside Over There, which is um, a story about a little girl and her sibling. <laughs> and she's trying to take care of the baby, but the baby's really um, naughty. One of the reasons I love this book, <laughs> one, is there's very literal words. So it starts off oh, when yeah. Papa was away at sea. And also the pictures of the babies are <laughs> so not grotesque. Let's not say grotesque about a they baby. They are grotesque. Yeah, yeah. We could call a baby grotesque. That's rule. Slightly troll-like. Um, yeah, it's all it's all awesome babies way, doing. Though, I've just pooed myself face. I mean, and I I love them for that. And also, you know, there are a lot of his um, other books, like in the Night Kitchen, with um, yes. The flying, uh, the little boy flies out the kitchen in his airplane. Mickey. Mickey, that's it. And I don't know whether or not this is a thing, but it makes me think of it. There is a, a picture in that book of him in the kitchen doing some baking because obviously bakers work at night. And I think he he doesn't have any pants on, but he's only a little person. He's only, a, but he's his a name boy. is yeah, Mickey. Yeah, he's a baby boy. I'm sure I've heard men people refer to their um penises as, as mickey i don't know whether or not that's <laughs> i've a... never i've never heard that so oh that's... okay scratch that mike please take that to... out <laughs> we're thought... gonna have to add a new q a question have you ever have heard you ever anyone call it a mickey <laughs> i thought i had i thought maybe that was where morris Sender got his kind of inspiration from but also it's a great book regardless. that's that's definitely going down as one of the research topics for next but episode. um the, the pictures are great in all of his books. So continue, George. Yeah, love Maurice Sendak. Sendak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just want to also shout out uh, Finnish author Tove Janssen oh, yeah. uh, wrote the Moomin books, oh, most of which were gosh. novels, but a lot of them were picture books as well. And Moomin is another one of those like incredibly recognizable styles, the graphic, and it's having a resurgence mm -hmm. when. When I was um, home in England last year, there is, I think it's a like a thrift store. Um, I'm not sure it's Oxfam or something, but um, and they're one of their biggest sellers is like all this Moomin merc, you know, t-shirts and um, shopping bags and all sorts of stuff. Um, but it's awesome though. If you don't know what Moomins look <laughs> like, just do a quick search because the um, the visual is it's just like really comforting. These these creatures are all round and. You know, you it makes it brings to mind uh, maybe the inspiration for uh, the Teletubbies. You know, where they made them these sort oh, of yeah. rounded characters, how comforting so, yeah. to little children. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of pear shaped. But I think the Moomins were more more like uh, kind of like, like hippos because they had those square faces. Yeah, so Jog that's on. awesome. <laughs> uh, the uh, so that's in the nineteen. 50s to 1980s in 1971 roger hargreaves has the mr men series of books um i don't know how much that hit over here in the u.s but i mr men was such a huge part of childhood growing up and was like a big way for me to like think about emotions you know yeah like mr 
it, it you go through everything. You have like Mr. Happy, Mr. Sad, Mr. Busy, Mr. Mr. Jealous. Messy. Miss, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Snowman by Raymond Briggs, published in Britain in 1978, was entirely wordless, uh, an incredibly well-received book that was also adapted into a movie, or, well, a short um, that is shown on Christmas Day in England every year. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that that was great. Again, the the art in, in his books. Yeah, Raymond Briggs, I love that style. And we have to, you brought this up earlier, we have to shout out When the Wind Blows, Mm -hmm. which is a graphic novel, so kind of leans out of our sphere for today. But it's all, the point of Venn diagrams is they overlap. Okay, so just get off my back. Uh, (laughs) When the Wind Blows is a 1982 graphic novel um, known for its critiques against government-issued preparations for nuclear war. It's essentially an anti-war piece, an anti- nuclear armament piece um and it is quite sad was it the late 70s george that was put when was that published when the wind blows 82 82 and in the early 80s i can tell you this because i am um of that time but there was a lot of anti-nuclear um support in the uk Mm. because he you know raymond briggs was english he was writing in the uk and um you know i can remember going on marches to ban the bomb you know, through mm-hmm. uh, city center and things, um, and so that I think that that was definitely reflective of the times that it was written in, as well as probably from his own um, background, having been a war baby. You know, having mm-hmm. already seen all of that sort of, you know, worldwide conflict, and it is yeah. very sad. It is a very sad story. It is, yeah. But then, so like, so were the stories of the people affected by nuclear fallout in the real world you know yeah absolutely japan and and the native people of america who have had that impact their lives oh oh yes you don't it's just the two of us i promise you can stop raising your hand well i wasn't going to mention this but you just remind me um so i don't know if you know this george i was going to put it oh well i wasn't but i'm going to i should have put it in the news um do you know yesterday there was an orca died in florida um in a a water park in Miami, I think. Been in captivity for about, uh, I think, like 50 years. And um, But the native peoples were trying to bring her into a more uh, comfortable environment. And while they were going through this process, she actually died, which is very sad because then I didn't know what relationship that the um, American... uh, native peoples actually had with orcas and like they they see them as like these reincarnated um characters and so they're part of their family just really really quite Mm. emotional if you listen to um the spiel about it or the you know the sort of background because they were already going through a a legal process with this they were promised that Mm -hmm. if she died they could have the cremated remains to take back to a place and um and then, so they, they assumed after she died that's what was going to happen, and then they were told that there was going to be some kind of Walker autopsy or something, which, you know, went along against all the sort of um, spiritual um, uh, processes, like procedures, rights. whatever, yeah. So, um, yeah. but I, I just wanted to put that in, because you mentioned the Native people, um, and I'm sure that somebody has, if they haven't already, will be writing a, a book about it. Do you know there are only just over 70 orcas left on the planet? Just saying. Oh, 
That breaks my heart. Um, sorry, oh. I had to throw that out there. Yeah, well, let's get back to picture books, I guess. Picture books! Um, yep, sorry, go. But, uh, everyone listening, conservation is so important. This is the only planet we got, and those are the only orcas we got. And they are incredible. Anyway. Anyway. All right. Not to get all on the no, we're not going to get ecology soapbox. But I did want to throw it out there. I will be looking into that. Yeah. Uh, also in the 60s, I just wanted to shout out Mitsumasa Ano, um, published a number of picture books, uh, beginning with Mysterious Pictures. Ooh, I like the sound of that. Yeah, I want to check out some of his work. Uh, he has a series of books basically just called like the journey books where a tiny character travels through depictions of the culture of various different countries, um, which I think sounds super rad. Uh, also in the late 1960s, a one Bill Martin Jr. spots a red lobster in a magazine advertisement for medication. He said, dang, that is gorgeous. The exact quote is the art was so striking that I knew instantly I had found the artist to illustrate my next book. That book was Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? And the artist was Eric Carl. Whoa! Talk about a picture book legend. I mean... Yeah, and also fate meeting. Like, what? Well, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bit like you and Bill me. Mar I mean, they must must have just been... What? <laughs> I was going to say a bit like... Did you say a bit like you and me? <laughs> yeah, that but... That is <laughs> technically how family works. Yeah, you don't actually know who's going to come out. Of <laughs> your... Your birth canal, no. I mean... Body. Ah! <laughs> that's not really fair. Anyway, so we, we, we always... all know Eric Carl because of 1, 2, 3 to the zoo as well as Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? Followed famously in 1969 by the very hungry caterpillar. Um, also, then... Go then on. followed by a busy spider, a quiet cricket, a lonely firefly, and a clumsy click beetle. Jesus, um, these bugs are doing the most. I mean... Can we have a quiet evening in the backyard, lads? <laughs> and you can't forget the... Um, what do they call it? The bad-tempered ladybird. They call it the grouchy ladybird here, I think. Oh, yeah! In England, the, it's like, the bad-tempered ladybird. I love, the, I love that book. Yeah. His art style is fantastic. Do you want to fight? Uh, and also, do you want to fight? You're uh, not he big said enough. Sorry. He wanted to add sensory elements to it. Like the all the like crinkly paper and the textured stuff in those books. He did that on purpose to make a book you could play with, a toy you can read. Oh, that's a great line. And that just goes so along with what we've been talking about this whole time. You know, sensory, you want to up the engagement with what you are consuming. And picture books are, like, such an excellent way to do that. True that. Um, I also just want to shout out, uh, his fave was always one of my faves, Do You Want to Be My Friend? Do You Want to Be My Friend? Published in 1971. He said that was his favorite because it was about friendship. I mean, and who doesn't want a friend? Yeah. Uh, closing out, 1977, we get Everyone Poops, first published in Japan by Taro Gomi. In 1987, uh, first book was published in the Where's Wally uh, series. British illustrator Martin Hanford uh, adapted to Where's Waldo in the United States and Canada. Uh, six, since 1989, over 20 books created in the Elmer the Patchwork Elephant series by the British author David McKee. 
And that brings us almost up to the present, at which point, you know, the digital boom kind of makes it impossible to track. Uh, We do have some featured faves, though, right, Mom? Well, okay, I did want to just mention um, one that we hadn't talked about, and it just occurred to me. I think Oh, classic. Oh, is it is it a late break in edition uh, from Mum? I'm just in trying the middle to of the episode? make sure that I've got the name right. Is it Tao Me Oh How... <laughs> See You've not got it prepared at all and you're adding it in No, the... I'm not I'm not even kidding you. I it just I just remembered it. Um and Tao I don't know what you're Fish what you is saying Fish, before. the book is. What? Fish is fish is what the book is called. Oh, it's Leo Leone. Oh my gosh, I was so wrong. How could you? I don't know. I'm sorry, our listening public and anybody else who is interested at all. But um, our listening public, you're hilarious. Uh, well, you know, but yes. So we, what else? What else? We want, we do want to bring some other ones up, don't we? Yes. Um, Leo Leone, fish Snowy. is fish. Just want to say that one. But Leon Leone, Fish is Fish. Yeah, because um, the artwork in that is incredible. Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Cloudy. Judy Barrett, 1993. That's yes, a, That's yes. a hugely famous one. And I think that the, one of the most appealing things about that book is that it it really encapsulates like the uh, ridiculous or the, the, the fantastical idea of a story like food. I mean, how many kids... I can remember as a kid thinking about food coming out of the sky. I'm sure oh, yeah. that that is like a classic kid thought. Like if, oh, if there was only like sandwiches falling out of the sky, I mean, and to write a book of it is classic. So yes, definitely. Well, so I'm talk about a few, just sort of as we're uh, wrapping it up, like um, that stand out to me. There's a book called Tom, uh, Water Dance. Not to be confused with Water Dancer, George is always referring to, but uh, the author is Thomas. Yeah, Thomas Locker, who um, his paintings are just incredible. I think they're they're like oils originally. I I don't know. I'm not really an arty type Mm. person, but I think they're prints of oils in the book. And basically, it's the story of water in all its forms. So it's kind of sciencey based. If you were going to use it in the classroom, I, I would do that. But also as a picture book, stunning, just stunning. The yeah, colors, incredible. the depth, yeah. just all of it, you know, because it's like, you know, the waters in the mountain stream and the river and the mist and the storm. And so I'm not reading <laughs> I like that, that it's kind of a. I like that it's kind of a regular thing now that the listeners just get some light ASMR from you, re- like paging through a book as we're talking about it. I think it makes sense. You know, it's like, what do they expect? This um, is what, what I, I expect. I definitely want to share it, and I'm going to get a response from George. So the book is called Tuesday oh, yeah. by David Weisner. And we were talking about a trend about 15, maybe longer, 20 years ago, when um, it was thought that one of the best way and you know to a certain extent i still think this is true to teach children to write is to give them like models so you would give them a book and you would say okay so write your version Mm -hmm. of this story now this book tuesday by david weisner is basically it's got like two sentences in it i think and um the first sentence sorry if you can hear the pages turning i apologize but (laughs) the first i'm sorry i've called it out now i didn't mean to Tuesday evening around eight, and that's all it says. And then 
there's a picture, and I'm just gonna show. You know, there's they're not they can't see. It. I know you they can't. I'm the showing camera. it to you though, so you can comment on what you see. Yeah, well, I could never forget the image of these beautiful and strangely alien-looking bullfrogs floating on their lily pads over the uh, reeds in the waterbank. Tuesday is one of those books that I got a hold of, and sort of very early on, I went, oh, we can get a lot weirder. Oh, so much. I mean, they... The frogs or the bullfrogs end up like sailing their lily pads into houses, but it's been used as prompts, you know, like you show the kids the pictures. So, okay, so what do you think's happening here? What's your story? But aside from that, it's hilarious just as, you know, a bit of personal entertainment, a bit of relaxation. The last picture, I love this one. Well, we won't spoil it for you, but it is. Oh, okay. It's you a, know, a bit the same thing. Yeah, and we. I want to. So one, I want to bring up because you're talking about uh, the silliness factor of it all. I wanted to bring up Edward Gorey again, most well known for the Gashley Crumb Tinies. Um, his art style was like not only very grim and dark, but also very absurd. Um, he got like really weird with a lot of the stuff that he produced. And it just kind of, what you were saying before, reminded me of the romance episode because we're talking about the Marvelous. And it does, it feels like everything gets some touch of, you know, the enhancement of the fantastical. The fantastical, yeah. Yeah, add something crazy in there. Make it Marvelous. Oh, seriously. Um, Another author, and I know, oh gosh, our time is shocking tonight. I apologize. Um, Jack Ezra Keats or Ezra Jack Keats, pardon me, uh, The Snowy Day, great mm -hmm. picture book, just a really simple story, but the illustrations are just beautiful. They're, they're really simple, lots of like geometric um, patterns and very simple colors. Um, I really like that because of it. <laughs> so check that one out if you don't know it. We've already looked at that. I did. Wait, I want to shout one out now. Go You've on already then. had a bunch of them. Oh, sorry. You know, I will go on. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, I just wanted to talk about um, each peach pear plum. Oh, I see. I spy Tom Thumb is the next line, I believe. Alan and Janet Alberg, um, two pretty impressed, like incredible illustrators and uh, children's book writers. Um, that was definitely one that I grew up loving. You love the rhyming content as well because it's an extra, it's another hook on that audio like scale of things. Yeah, and I think that it, um, back to what, uh, I can't remember who you said it was, whether it was Eric Carl, but it, it turns it into a toy. If there's some, yeah, if there's another Carl, opportunity yeah. to interact um, with it, then it makes it much more fun. And I, when I was looking you know, when I first had children a long, long time ago, um, when I was looking for books for them and for, you know, other family members and things, there was nothing that would get me so easily as like any kind of multimedia aspect, like whether it was crinkly paper, whether it was scratch and sniff, whether it was like monster fur. Yeah, like any a, of on it. A, on a dog or something. Or little, yeah. little pushy plastic squeaker noises. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would just totally be taken in by those sort of things. And I think that, um, one, we love picture books. 
because they're art and they're engaging and they're, um, I think the thing is they are valid narratives and I hope they continue to be so. But also I think yeah. that they are, as we've said about other genres of books, they are good ways of um, giving, you know, maybe children, maybe adults as well, um, a way of expressing things that perhaps outside of like the the realm of um, fiction, it's not right. so easy to talk about things. So, Right. Something that might otherwise be out of their reach. Yeah. Yeah. All right, do you want to do one more? I just I'm want to do... mention, I'm not going to talk about this. I'm just going to mention it, all right? So there's this Oh, book. yes, of course. It's a book called Icarus at the Edge of Time by Brian Greene, who was, maybe still is, a professor of math and physics at Columbia University. Maybe not still, but um, it's a board book. I don't know. If you know anything about children's books, you will it's know. It's huge. Yeah. And it's like solid cardboard. Each page is solid cardboard. All the images inside are pictures taken from space, um, nebulas and galaxies, galaxies and all that sort of stuff. It's an awesome book. But was, the story is about a kid who's traveling through space with his dad. And I'm not going to spoil it, but it, it's another really sad book. But it's also an amazing picture <laughs> book. Um, I, I did used to share it with... Uh, fifth graders and they were quite sad but but it's but not necessarily a children's book not necessarily no and also something else i like about it is it's got science notes in the back in case mm -hmm. you're interested in space because it's a big spacey book and um, because of the thickness of the cardboard the cover etc it's a very tactile um publication which I, again I love. right back to it so that's all i'm gonna say george that's my last one all right good you're finished you're cut off no more talking uh... you've used up all your words for the day it's all sign language. Stop making faces at me in the Zoom. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about, we've talked, we sort of expressed our love for the beauty and the various ways in which picture books redefine the ways that we connect and consume books as a sensory experience. But beyond that, they're also vital learning tools early on yeah. in life. Yeah. Um, they're used obviously in the classroom and at home to help develop language and creativity. We help kids approach difficult topics through picture books. We've already in just this episode talked about several books that contain quite adult experiences. Um, one example as well, another example rather is Mac Barnett and Carson Ellis's picture book, What is Love? which is entertaining, but also introduces important life questions about like love and empathy. Um, so they, they are absolutely necessary for the introduction of reading to a child's life. But bringing it back to the um, Orbis Pictus, mm. a picture book is good for anyone on any ability. Like, it isn't ah, just for kids. What it is, is it makes it accessible because it gives you more sensory outputs to connect to. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it just it's just all across the board. It helps with engagement. It helps with creativity. Um, and and that, those are two incredibly necessary things to survive the world in general, but also to really appreciate storytelling and and the 
stories that other people live every single day. And like other narratives, they can open up worlds that, you know, kids perhaps don't experience and won't have the chance to experience. I'm never going to go to outer space, but I love that book. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, can I do one more plug? <laughs> Just because... Um, oh, my god! This is one of your sister's favourites, and also she really likes the author. Uh, don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus by Mo Willems. Um, just oh, hilarious. Yeah. This is, I mean, I think this would be a really uh, good icebreaker if you had a student who was a bit nervous or something, or even a kid who was a bit nervous about things. Generally, don't let the pigeon drive the bus. Great book. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard that one before. Ah. All right, before we can get you on any other of your pet projects, uh, pet projects, what does that mean? I don't know. Showing I've someone got no who pets. doesn't quite use his who doesn't use his vocabulary quite right. Um, before you keep going on about them bleeding books, I think we're going to wrap it up just because of how long we've been taking on this episode. I don't but know what... Thank you so much for... <laughs> I didn't think this one would be so long. I really didn't. You're crazy. Yeah. I, I, I personally can't do a research session that is not a little overbearing. Um, but... Anyway, I had a lot of fun and what a fascinating topic. You know what I mean? I'm really, I'm really inspired by the overall presence of picture books in sort of a literary canon now in a way that I wasn't before. And I want to go so, look thank for you. some. I really do want to. Yeah, I want to go get some new picture books with some crinkly bits on the inside. Or even just go hang out in a super cool library and, uh, you know, look at all their picture books. I'd really yeah. like to do that. What was I going to say? <laughs> don't, oh. don't. This just in. Uh, don't let the pigeon drive uh, the bus. Stra strange adult woman found lingering near children's <laughs> book section, pointing at all the picture Ooh. book covers. Oh, that was quite pretty. Oh, look at that one. Oh, have you this? Yeah. Oh, look at that one. I don't know if you were thinking of saying this, but I was just going to jump in anyway. A big uh, shout out to our man, Mike, who... Uh, Love you, brother. So... Uh, he just turns these around with his editing magic, and um, I can't say enough about that man. Um, and also to the designer. Which designer? Uh, for our logo. Oh, uh, Gabe. Uh, Gabriel DeMeo De on uh, Instagram. That's M-E-L-L-O. Pardon my horrific Spanish pronunciation. Thank you for your input. Also, uh, I always think it's... You know. We love our logo. It's so beautiful. We the do. quill is just incredible. The best. It's just how I wanted it. So whoop, whoop. I love it when <laughs> that happens. But yes, thank you to everyone who in any way, in every way at all supports us doing this. We're having so much fun. We really are. And, you know, don't forget if you, if you, if you like it or if you listen, just say hi. You can do that on Spotify. You can just say, hi, this was fun. Or... <laughs> Yeah, they really messed up when they I gave us you. multiple yeah. options by which we can interact with anyone listening. But please do. Uh, yeah, mum cannot wait to talk to people on the internet uh, against my <laughs> best That sounds a bit dodgy, advice. but all right. <laughs> well, the last thing to say is, as always... Go tell some tales. And maybe put a couple pictures next to him so it becomes a nice little picture book. Experience. Or listen to the song by the Kinks, which is called Picture Book. Also a good idea. Yeah. Good night. Good night.